Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Theology and Insanity, your weekly Catholic podcast on theology, philosophy, culture, all things, and of course, uh, discussing the insanity going on in the world around us, and even sometimes, you know, the insanity uh, seeping into the church a little bit. Uh, my name is Dave Van Vickle, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Mike Cirilla. Dr. Mike Cirilla, how are you, Mike? I'm great. I'm a little uh, under the allergy season oh, today, but I'm, I'm all right. I took some uh, medicine, so I shouldn't be sneezing into the mic. <laughs> my uh, my wife got a cat last year, and I've never been allergic to cats before. But it is this cat is like murdering me. It's like I'm I'm dying here, and now with the yeah. pollen, it's yeah. <laughs> I was I was sitting I sit outside and do my work a lot now, and I was watching like the wind blow these huge trees in my neighbor's yard, and it was like it was like a snowstorm. That's, That's what it was like great. the pollen That's coming great. off the tree. It was just That's like great. it was crazy. So yeah, yeah. Yep. Now you're um, done with exams. You're still grading or no? I'm always grading. Uh, okay, yeah. <laughs> because because right. we're, we're finished with uh, the spring semester of 2021, but um, there's no break for me. I, I teach so, a bunch of summer classes, so right. as soon as graduation hits, as soon as you're done grading, then bang the... Boom. Actually, not as soon as. The summer classes uh, start a few days before the spring <laughs> semester. Ends, so they so. overlap. Yeah. Oh, that's, yeah, that's yeah, brutal. Yeah. Yeah, it That's is. Brutal. But uh, at one point, we're going to get to go to the beach this summer, which we haven't been on a vacation for a while, so that'll be nice. The oh, coronavirus kind of shut a lot of things down. Right. Um, so that'll be nice. I can work from the beach because uh, my on-ground, I have a lot of on- online classes, and then my on-ground okay. classes start after that. So That's awesome. I'm, I'm headed down to Dallas this weekend for, I'm doing a <laughs> high school commencement speech so oh, that'll be nice. interesting but i'm but i'm real excited to just at your alma mater free a little bit it's not my alma mater but um it's a school that i've become connected with because all my nieces and nephews go there and there it's just like a great little school actually um founded by some franciscan grads and you know i've i've just nice, been nice. i've been real you know close with them for a while now so they're just, oh that's they're awesome great. Yeah. We'll be, have a safe trip. That's great. And yeah. one other thing that's happening this summer that I'm really excited about is, um, and I can you know cautiously leak some of this information now, Yay. that we're, we're having some of the former professors at the John Paul II Institute in Rome, which has been suffering tremendously from an upheaval, uh, a revolution of sorts. Um, yeah. Uh, and some of them are coming to Franciscan this summer to, to teach with me. We're co-teaching a class together. Uh, they're actually a guest lecturer, uh, just because of the immigration issues, right? Sure. Uh, and sure. then I'm the professor of record, but of course okay. I'll be like an eager student as well, listening yeah. to the, the right. words that they uh, that they share. I mean, it's, I can't wait for that. It's going to be great. So, I, I, so for those who are following the news of the JP two Institute in Rome and the tragedy of it, uh, there there are wonderful things emerging out of the ruins of that. Um, a partnership. Uh, here at Franciscan University with them and um, other 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 endeavors that will be made known over the course of the next year. So, so there's a lot of hope, a lot of hope. It seems like the crumbling kind of of the JP2 Institute um, is coming to fruition. Like we're seeing now, oh yeah, you know, new, we're seeing <laughs> a lot of articles and, and statements by the people who have been appointed. And I'm guessing what happened was you know, there were probably conversations had <laughs> with higher ups before they were hired, and now they're becoming known quantities, and those known quantities are decidedly outside of orthodoxy. Oh so. yeah, what well, did you see the article a few days ago? Uh, yeah, uh, 
the, the, new, the new incoming president, priest president of the JP2 Institute is, is saying, no, we should bless uh, homosexual marriages uh, as homosexual. We won't necessarily call them marriages, call them unions, but bless the actual union. But let's just, we'll do it privately. So it won't, won't is, be a public. But right. yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is after the CDF, you know, had right. just put out that very clear statement, no, you can't do it. Now, listen, you can bless people. Who, right. who are disposed for a blessing, uh, but you don't bless the union. Well, the president said to bless the union, the new president yeah. of JP2. It is, it is so heartbreaking it because is this too. was one of the epicenters of you know, JP2 in the 70s and 80s and 90s and early 2000s. He, he, as a great shepherd, just held the church together in unity of faith. This is the, the job of the papacy, to ground the unity as a foundation, as the unity of the house. Uh, you know, he, he grounds the unity of faith, morals, uh, sacraments, grace, and discipline. And he did a very fine job of that. Um, and the JP2 Institutes are, are, are a fruit of that. And now they're, they're getting decimated. And it's just uh, very difficult to, uh, you know, right. and I think, to watch. I think, you know, the JP2 Institutes, I mean, Pope John Paul did that in all matters of orthodoxy, in all matters of faith. But in particular, he was kind of set to take over the world with the theology of the body, right? The genius of the, I mean, we haven't seen the fruition of theology of the body yet. And these institutes were specifically geared towards that. And so I'm, I'm devastated. I really am upset. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah, I think about it often throughout the day and it's, it's sad, you know? But. Yeah. It, it's, but you know, there's some light, uh, right. coming out of the, out of the mess here. So, yeah. And there always will be. I, I mean, I have faith yeah. that there yeah, always will right. be. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I wanted to kind of have a discussion with you today. It, this is something I'd have a discussion on my other podcast about, and I wanted to get your perspective. So my other podcast with Ascension Press is Every Knee Shall Bow. We talk about evangelization. But there's a lot of theological issues with this, and I want to talk kind of about the state of sacramental life in the church. Um, I want to specifically talk to you about the relationship between faith or even more lack of faith and reception of the sacraments and kind of their effectiveness. Um, because, you know, I, and, I'll, and I'll, let me set this up for you so that you can kind of swing at this. Let me throw a pitch so you can kind of swing. Um, you know, I, I've worked in a par in parishes now for, let's see, I'm, I'm going on 15 years, you know, and normal average Catholic parishes. One of them was fantastic, I would say. Um, but it's still, you know, 22% uh, mass attendance on Sundays. Um, you know, overall, I wouldn't have confirmed any of the kids pretty much. I mean, there were a handful of kids that I would have confirmed over those 15 years that other, you know, but I was forced to basically confirm anyone because there was a lack of faith there. And, you know, a lot of times in a lot of parishes, they've become sacramental factories you know, where we're, we're not evangelizing people, people are not living in faith, but they hold on to this kind of cultural Catholicism. Um, and, and to, to make it very stark and clear to those listening, it is very, very much known in the world of Catholicism that we see people at first communion, and then we do not see them again until it's time for their confirmation. Um, and, and that is absolutely the truth. There might be some loose connection to the church, but for the most part, it's because they received a letter, 
the year that they were supposed to be confirmed, and now they're back for confirmation. So I kind of wanted to get your your thoughts on all this, because to me, this is kind of the essence of the crisis in the church that um, why would we ever expect like our marriages to work if people like they're not receiving sacramental grace? It, at least that's what I think. Right. I mean, is that true? Yeah. Well, look, uh, for, for, it is true. Dave, I got a log jam in my head now because there's yeah, so many right. issues all at once that you're bringing up. First of all, right. let me ask you this question. Let's break it down yeah. slowly here. Yeah. The ages of confirmation that you were talking about, when they come at, by that point, you know, at, at the last time you saw many of them was First Communion. Then years later, I'm assuming, it's confirmation. Right. How many years later? Is it, is, it, is it eighth grade? Is it high school? High school, usually. Um, but it, let's say eighth grade through freshman year of high school mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Is, the, is the normal age for most dioceses now. Now, some are right. going back to the restored order, you know, And at that point, you say that they, they really, many of them just actually don't have faith. Right. Or, and, and they're not well, necessarily malicious I, people, but they just don't know the faith. They they aren't steeped in it. They don't hear the gospel. They don't right. recommit to it or something right. like that, right? Certainly yeah, not an have, active personal faith. Though certainly. they may have a kind of faith, not the Catholic faith, right. not the Christian right. faith, but right. what we've we've talked about this before, the moral, what is it, moral therapeutic, therapeutic deism. deism. Yeah. yeah, which is kind of like, I think they all nice, have that pretty much. But yeah, exactly. Right. Just be a nice guy, a nice gal, and, and pretty much everybody's going to go to heaven unless you're Hitler. Right, right. No, okay. no, Mike, you're you're aging yourself. It's not Hitler anymore. Now it's oh, Osama oh, bin Laden. Oh, it's, okay, it's Osama right, right. Bin Laden. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's so awesome. All right, yeah. so, um, okay, good. And then um, the question is, um, you know, you, you have them proceeding after confirmation, and no wonder that there's a crisis in marriage and things like that. That's right. right. One of the crises, too, is that, in fact... Um, not only is there an issue of not receiving the graces you need in a in a sacramental marriage to be faithful to each other, to Christ, and to your kids, uh, but or even to have kids at all yeah. in the first place uh, to avoid contraception, but also there there is a stark plummet of the numbers of people getting married in the, in church, the church, right, and baptizing their kids. I mean, it, it is just astonishing right. uh, how much things are falling off. Okay, and so. Um, in the uh, 90s, my mom, who did religious education for years, she was a DRE at a parish and then did diocesan-level stuff in D.C., we would say, oh, well, there's a crisis of catechesis. Right. We always say, oh, it's a crisis. People just don't know their faith. They just don't know their faith. They just don't know their faith. At this point, really, I think, and I, I see if you agree with this, I think it's actually a crisis of evangelization. They yeah. haven't even heard the gospel proposed very right. clearly to them, right. let right. alone understand the faith. The faith isn't there to be understood in the first place often. Right. Or maybe they heard it, and then years later, after First Communion, you've forgotten it. Um, we all have good forget forgetters. We were talking pre-show about how Satan can fog the mind. Oh, yeah, yeah absolutely. Right. And and he, he, we have a good forgetter. We can forget right. the basic gospel message, even if your day-to-day daily bread is to meditate on and teach and hand on the deposit of faith is, is for you and me, uh, for you and I. Uh, so in any event, yeah... Um, I think uh, one thing that can be said in the kind of the minimalist view, which is not the right, not the complete view, we shouldn't have just a minimalist view, is this. Well, at least get them confirmed uh, so that even if they're not in a state of grace. Okay. If they're, let's say they're in a state of mortal sin. Yeah, okay. And they actually don't even believe. Right. Will confirmation be efficacious? No. No, it won't. No, they're not properly disposed. 
That's okay. what you're talking about in terms of your discernment. You wouldn't have had them confirmed, but but the priest had to make the de- decision, not you. Right. Right. Um, and why? You wouldn't because you perceived pretty clearly they don't have right. faith. And right. you, you're not receiving a sacrament of faith if you don't have faith. Okay. So the gra- the grace, it's it, you, you said this before, you're right, sacraments aren't magic. Uh, that what's required for fruitfulness of the reception is that the recipient is properly disposed. So you're discerning improper disposition. Well, so can I, the can grace I ask you this? Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. So that makes sense to me with sacraments like confession and communion. But like when it's a sacrament of character change, what happens then? That's the, that's yeah. my big. So so what happens is the as long as there's no critical impediment, like the person um, does not want to be confirmed, and you are ah. tie, tying them down literally or holding okay. their body, and the okay. bishop's that, this is crazy, right? This doesn't happen. The bishop for yeah, right. Be sealed with a seal, and the, <laughs> right. So that is an invalid sacrament. Okay. Okay. But if they're like, yeah, I'll just do it, even for bad reasons, like, yeah, it's a cultural thing, or mom, dad, okay. we get a party, or just jump through this hoop, you know, oh, it's cool, I get another sacrament, or whatever, you know, yeah. um, or for whatever reason that has nothing to do with faith, okay? Right. As long as they're willing, the sacrament's valid, but not necessarily fruitful. So fruitful. if they're, this, okay. is the, this is the minimalist view, okay? It's not right. the robust view. It's not enough, but it's, it's right. true. Of course, it's right. true. Yeah. It's true. The truth is they will receive the character, because character is not grace. Uh, a sacrament ah, from baptism, from baptism, from confirmation, and from holy orders are different from grace. So you can be baptized, confirmed, and even ordained a priest or deacon or bishop, and commit a mortal sin, lose all your sanctifying grace, but you never lose the character. Yeah. So character is not grace. Character is a gift. It is a gift. You can call it a grace in a loose sense. It's a gift from God. It transforms you at the core of your being and your soul. It configures you to Christ in a very specific way that's slightly different in baptism, confirmation, and holy orders, but you never lose it. So somebody who's not opposed to being confirmed, who's in a state of sin, they'll get that character, but they don't get the grace of confirmation. They don't get that right. very particular sanctifying grace, which is an outpouring of the Holy Spirit and an intensification of the seven Isaiah gifts of the Holy Spirit that they first received in baptism. You get an intensification of that when you receive confirmation in a, properly disposed. So all, there's a complete consensus among all the different schools of theology, Thomists, Franciscans, Scotists, Jesuits, etc. I'm talking about Orthodox Jesuits. Uh, that that if and when the person repents and comes back to the faith, their faith comes alive again, they go to confession, that that grace of confirmation, which they didn't receive, revitalizes, it renews, it it revives in them. And then they receive the outpouring that that what confirmation is supposed to be giving them, you know. And the same is true for marriage. If you you receive marriage willingly and validly, but in a state of mortal sin, you don't get the grace. But if you repent later, then those graces, we say, revive or or come to life. Yeah, so that makes a lot of sense. And I I knew some of what you were saying, but, like, I didn't – I never thought to put it in those terms that character is not a grace because that makes it very clear that, okay, so we're dealing with something more unique here than just – should we withhold it if there's no if we don't see you know something in their life because in in that case i would say no we we probably should confer that character it's just i think what what well, we need to do is adjust how we do it no it's dangerous listen i, I well maybe i'm uh we 
we should, but only if and only if there is a strong re-evangelization or right. initial evangelization, right. if right. there's never been evangelization, and that that, that evangelization is, is received by the person, and they come to faith. Because if they don't, listen, it's not on, on you, really. It's the priest who makes those decisions. But, but Dave, he's got to say, no, I can't confirm you. You're not... Do you... Do you believe in that Jesus is the Son of God? Yes. Okay. Well, what does that mean? You know, and, and right. he doesn't have to. He or she does not have to explain that theologically, but just that you know, he he's my Creator. He's God. Right. He's the Creator. He's all powerful, all loving, and he became a man to die on the cross to save me from my sins. That's the basic gospel message. And if they don't get it or believe it um, genuinely, then you've got it. I think we we all have a responsibility to get them there. Their right. parents have a responsibility to get them there, or you well, do, and or the priest does, or the bishop. And if they're not there, you, you, you shouldn't confirm them, and here's why, okay? It's not better. It's not a good argument. Not that you were arguing this, okay? But I've heard some priests right. argue things like this. It's not, it's not safe. It's very dangerous to give someone a sacrament, uh, especially the ones that impose a character, which involve vows and obligations. So they're baptismal vows. Confirmation there, we don't call them vows, but there's an obligation like a vow. The baptismal vow is I reject Satan and I profess Christ and I, right. I it, com- commit to live with him and reject sin, all right? The confirmation vow, it's not really a vow, but the duty, the obligation imposed on you is to profess Christ publicly and courageously, especially when it's difficult, especially when you get attacked by pressure to, you fill in the blank, that sexual sins, um, sins of intemperance, whatever it is, uh, you're committing to professing your faith in Jesus Christ as an adult, even if you're not physically an adult yet, a spiritual adult, right? And then, and then with priesthood, there are also vows attached that you, you're committed. So when you have, when you receive that sacrament, you receive that character, you are metaphysically a person that God sees as having a vow, a commitment. And if you don't fulfill it, ever, right? That's very dangerous. So the the saints, right? You'd rather that not be there, right? Yeah, yeah. Say, say that. Look, uh, hell is horrible, just period. But if you're in hell with a character with a sacramental character like baptism or confirmation, it's, it's there all the worse. It increases the suffering and shame. And, oh, and, and, okay. You know. I, didn't, I didn't know that. That's, okay, so, that's so, an interesting... But, yeah. but look, the most important thing, right, is um, evangelization for the glory of God, for, to honor Him, and to save the soul. Right? Well, well, here, here Everything was Everything else is subordinate to that. So right, you can't, right. like, not that you, you, you know, but we should not be detaching sacraments from that context. Well, here, here was my point, though, in saying maybe we need to change the way we confer it, is that the average third grader in CCD believes vividly in Jesus Christ. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And by the time they're in high school, it's a, not a thought or gone. And so my point is, you know, maybe the restored order is the way to go. Maybe well, we that, should go back to confirming younger. Okay, um, well, well, I'm you glad know. you said that. <laughs> yeah. The 1983 Code of Canon Law. I just got, by the way, talking about last semester, we just finished the spring semester, and I, I finished off a, uh, a graduate seminar on the sacraments. It was wonderful. I've done it a bunch of times over the last 20 years, and every time I learn more. Um, but here's the tradition of the church in the West, not just the East. In the West, the tradition was to confirm people, if not at baptism in infancy, to, as they do in the East, but to confirm them at the age of reason before receiving Holy Communion, because the order of the sacraments of initiation from the early church through the Middle Ages 
right. which preserved this was baptism, then confirmation, then Holy Eucharist. Okay. Um, so they confirmed young children in the West, in the Latin West, in the Roman Rite, through to the Middle Ages. That uh, age was pushed later. The dr- it's a whole history here. By the 18th, 19th, and early 20th centuries, the, the age got pushed a little bit later. Then it gets pulled back, and different popes had different views. The 1983 Code of Canon Law says that uh, the Sacrament of Confirmation should be given at the age of reason. Okay. It's restoring the order of the sacraments of initiation, baptism, confirmation, and then Eucharist. And there's a theological reason for doing this, okay? But it does give, it gives it to the discretion of the local bishops if they ah, want to change the... Ah. Right, so that's why you're like, well, why aren't they following it? Well, there's all sorts of things that can't law that right. you know, you're supposed to do it this way, but a bishop is allowed to do it differently. Right. Did you know, uh, if, if you or some of the listeners know about Ember Days or Rogation Days... Right, sure, know, yeah. That's pre, pre-Vatican II. Yeah, it is, um, except, well... In the 83 code, it says bishops still are supposed to keep right. these. B- but our bishops' conference still, what, 30 years later, has not set up a, um, or 40 years later now, I guess, uh, a, a, a way of implementing it. So yeah. <laughs> most it was brought, Ember days, Ember days were brought back in the Diocese of Pittsburgh when okay. the, uh, when the uh, grand jury report came out, the bishop said, we need, wow, to we need prayer and fasting. Yeah, oh, that's we need great. prayer and that's fasting great. right now and brought it back. So that's good. Okay, I'm going to. I'm going to advance this discussion, <laughs> and I'm going to zing you here, all right? Okay. And I, w- I wouldn't zing a lesser man, but okay. here's, my, here's my question. I want to start talking about marriage. I may not mar- satisfy you, but... Yeah, okay. <laughs> I want to I ask you a question about marriage and faith and validity and all this kind of stuff, okay? Before we so, do this, yeah. could, I, could I say one last thing about confirmation? Yeah, yeah, do it, do it. There is a theological reason to give it early, and it's actually very simple. It's not highfalutin or complicated. Confirmation okay. gives the recipient, among other things, the grace, sanctifying grace, which strengthens you. So all the sacraments give sanctifying grace, but they give it for different foc- focal points, right. right? For different purposes. The focus of the sacram- sanctifying grace that confirmation gives you is to strengthen you. So uh, confirm in Latin is to strengthen, to strengthen you to stay faithful to Jesus Christ when it's difficult. Right. Now, when does it become difficult for kids to stay faithful oh, to Jesus? Okay. I'm going to say right away. Age right. of reason that we're right. saturated with porn and whatever yeah. the heck else is going on. Uh, 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 critical race theory, which foments uh, hatred against the races and resentments right. and all sorts of horrible things from the age of seven years old. Yeah. So why withhold that grace? Why no, withhold it so they don't have that grace to stay faithful to Christ? So by the time they're in high school, many of them have not stayed faithful to Christ. And then what is feels like it's never too late as long as you're alive, but it's in a relative sense like too late. Like don't withhold that grace. Okay, right. that's a theological reason for doing it. Yeah, no. A good friend of mine and yours maybe is Christophanic, and he argues that it should be given later. And uh, and I love him to death. He and I are old old friends, Chris and I. Um, and we've talked about this over and over and over, and he still has not persuaded me, but I am open to be <laughs> per- being persuaded because I love the truth. I I want to love the truth. I want to follow the truth. So yeah. I don't still don't see it. But anyway, let's get on to Mary. I had to say that. Thank you for letting me. No, I'm glad you said it. And actually, I remember, you know, um, when I was studying the relationship between baptism and confirmation and spiritual warfare, you know, in the old church, I'm pretty sure when they blessed you with the oil, when they confirmed you with the oil, uh, back in the day, it wasn't just your head. Like they would oil up your whole body and it was 
to remind you like it like the gladiator soldier like soldier you're yeah. going yeah that's you're right. going out into battle you know so and that's, you need the I, strength I like you need the strength right. to stay right. faithful to your to your lord in this case yeah. it's the lord lord jesus you know yeah, I think that's cool. I, I yeah, wish I do yeah. that. I wish I do that still. Um, yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. All right. So here's my here's my crazy all question right, right, right. that you can label me a heretic or not. So <laughs> I I am wondering about the validity of a sacramental marriage for a couple that gets married without any faith. And and here's why I'm saying this. Okay. A parish priest is supposed to know. Before giving us a, a Catholic mar- wedding, there's he's supposed to say like, okay, I vouch that these this couple can live out the grace of the sacrament. Like he should know them well enough. So what I'm saying is, is it possible that a reason for an annulment could be a lack of faith when they were married? Uh Lack of faith is too is too vague to answer that yes or no. Okay, you know? okay. Maybe specify it, but but back up just for a second. I thought I should say said this earlier. Sorry. Okay. Um, for for the validity of any sacrament. So uh, first of all, I guess we should spell all this out. Validity, uh, used in a very specific sense here, means that the sacrament did take, did place. take place, whether or right. not the grace was fruitful. The sacrament actually happened. Invalidity, invalid means the sacrament did not occur at all. There was no sacrament. It was They maybe tried to do it, but they were unsuccessful. Lyseity, licitness, means that uh, the sacrament was valid, and also, according to the proper rules of the church, it was done at the right way at the right time. Right. And then illicit, or, or you know, a non-lacking uh, uh, lyseity, or illicit, means the sacrament was done, but against the laws of the church. So let's say you have a priest who's laicized, and he's not allowed to say Mass, but he does it anyway. It's valid. Right. It's, va- it's a real sacrament, the Eucharist. Of course, right. But it's not licit. It's against the law of the church. Okay, good. Okay. So all that being said, for validity, there are these requirements for any sacrament. You have the correct minister okay. who intends to do what the church does. Now right. note, it doesn't say the church doesn't teach he has to intend to do what the church intends. Intends, okay. He has to intend to do what the church does, which is to produce the external sign, which is the means of grace, okay? The proper minister with the right intention and the right recipient, that is the proper recipient, you know, uh, who's able to receive the sacrament, and um, the proper matter and form. And matter and form just means using the right stuff and saying the proper prayers, okay? So proper minister, proper intention, proper recipient, and proper matter and form. Okay, good. So that's all that's required for validity. So if by faith... Uh, you mean they, you know, were, first of all, we're talking about two baptized Catholics. Yeah, right. In the marriage okay. example you're giving, right? Right, okay. right. They're so Baptist they don't, they don't be- if, if by faith you mean they don't believe um, uh, what the church teaches about Christ or, or other central, central mysteries of faith, uh, then they can, and the priest made a mistake or was negligent or lied and said, yeah, they're ready when they're not, or yes, they believe when they don't. It's still a sacrament. The church still claims them. Huh. Yeah, huh. so for example, um, Benedict XVI changed the Code of Canon Law to reflect this fact, that when married people who are... Ca- uh, so, excuse me, excuse me. You, let's say you have a baptized Catholic who leaves the Catholic Church and becomes Lutheran, all right? Okay. And then they attempt to marry a baptized Lutheran in the Lutheran Church uh, uh, without a priest present. So what's required for validity 
for a Catholic marriage is that a priest be present. Okay. Right. Right. Then that's not a valid sacramental marriage because the church still, even though the person no longer believes, see the full Catholic faith, they're they're Lutheran now, right? Right. So we could say they lack faith in a certain respect, right? Okay. That that that, that marriage, <clears throat> they the church still claims that person as a Catholic. So if they came back to the church but still didn't believe, you know, the fullness of the faith, as long as they're baptized Catholic, marrying another baptized Catholic with a deacon, priest, or bishop authorized present witnessing the marriage, saying right. the proper matter, saying the pro- saying the proper words, the prayers, I vow, you know, I take right. you, etc., to be my w- wife, etc., um, uh, and with no other impediments, right? Then it's valid, even if they don't have faith. Huh. Why? Let me ask you: Why would you think? The lack of because faith. Yeah. Bec- okay because I think that they don't realize what they're vowing to. Oh well, then okay, no, that's critical, right? Okay, if they don't, if they don't, um, this is a nullable, right? If you say, if you say the words, "I I take you as my spouse, for better or worse, until we die," right? If you yeah. don't either a understand that, if you don't understand it, you can't make the vow. You can say the words, but you don't make the vow. So that's not a real sacrament, okay? Or if you say it and you clearly don't mean it, it's a lie, all right? Uh, then that's not a marriage either, okay? But you could you could lack faith. You could be like a... And still a mean cat, it, sure. And still mean it, yeah. That's, that's sure. Yeah. I guess so, yeah. I guess that, yeah, that, that, makes, that makes sense. I'm, I'm just thinking like, you know, marriage now... It's I'm not now always marriage is difficult to two people, you know, coming together. It's it's not easy. And you need the grace of the sacrament. And I'm I'm wondering if like the understanding of that is an impediment. I I mean, I think it's an impediment, but I don't know necessarily if it was if it's null nullable because. No, no. If you if you um, as long as you mean if you if you know what it means to say, I take you. So the taking you is a is a euf, uh, in some ways a euphemistic. Well, it's maybe euphemistic is not the right word, but it's a it's a very in, broad encompassing statement. Taking you it means certainly sexually. Right. I give yeah. myself to you, and I and right. you give yourself to me. We take each other sexually, right. but it also means living a common more than just physical, a right. common life. Uh, um, with with our property, we we share right. the property in common. There's no prenuptials here. Okay, that's not okay. <laughs> right. Uh, we share everything together, and then we share a life together of a psychological life, a spiritual life, a religious life together. Uh, that's what we're and and no matter what. So you understand that for better or worse, uh, wh- whether it gets really hard, <laughs> and when it's yeah. easy, doesn't matter. I'm not going to leave you and have sex with somebody else or right. have a common life with somebody else. Um, whether it's sexual or not, like leave you and become a religious, let's say. Oh, yeah, Um, right. right. And and have a common life with my brothers in religion, but not with you. No, it's you until we die. It's actually the bar, Dave, I don't think it's that high. It's pretty easy to understand that. Uh, Annulments are given out very frequently, uh, maybe too frequently, but the bar is actually not too too high, at least to understand it. Now, there can be conditions, emotional, psychological, situational they yeah. can make that null ab- absolutely. Yeah, I know I know like the I think that I'm pretty sure so I was talking to somebody the other day I'm pretty sure they told me the most common reason for annulment now is failure to bond which has to do with what you're talking about like um the life coming together besides sexually like you're like living a life together. 
you See, know, like no, a national I, I've heard respect. that too, and I, 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 I that's a dispute. It should not be, but it is a disputed theological question. Okay. And um, a number of priests, friends, uh, have told me this, and that they're learning this in their seminaries. And, okay. Uh, I think this is wrong. Uh, respectfully disagree that uh, f- failure to bond is meaningless. That failure to and it's not meaningless. It's horrible. Okay. It's yeah. painful. But failure to bond is under the category of worse for better or worse. Huh. Huh. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. this is interesting. I mean, you made yeah, you that. made the commitment. You know. Uh, <clears throat> I'm yours for better or worse, and that's it, 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 really it also gets complicated because very often annulments are given if there's no sexual bond. Okay, if there's no act of yeah, right, right, right. But 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 even then, um, if you if you never had sexual relations like Mary and Joseph, nevertheless, that is still a real marriage, even though it's annullable. The Church reserves the right to dissolve the bond or to declare there was no bond in the first place if there's no um, sexual relations, because the vow in the sacrament is to take the other, or, you know, I take you or we take each other, and that does include sex. It's not just sex, but it does include that. So if you don't do that, then then it can be some will say it's dissolvable by the Church, others will say the Church can declare it null, but Everybody has to hold that it is a valid marriage, uh, uh, unless the church says otherwise. You know. Well, mean you can have and a by, valid, and by a what, what you mean by that, marriage. right, right. But yeah. what you mean by that also is that like the church is saying at any moment they could come together physically. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah see. But, okay. But, so my one of my to bond failing to bond emotionally or financially yeah. or et cetera. It, it, in my opinion. And I'm I'm willing to be corrected, so I, I I know I'm not infallible, and you know I make tons of mistakes. But it seems to me that that's not uh, a, a, a grounds to say there was no marriage. Well, the, now, the way now, if says, the failure to bond is because they never really meant it. Yeah, that's what. That's okay, what, okay. So what's okay. been described to me is like basically okay. uh, a guy or a girl they get married for one specific reason. Like, so, so like the guy, you know, wants to be with her physically or something like that, but, but wants else. to have a completely Good separate call. life. You okay. Know? Okay. I right. misunderstood. No, no, Dave, yeah. I want to say, no, that's totally right. I, I, I'm such a geek and I, I get you know so what? With, liter- with literal minded. Mike, you're with right. marriage no. stuff, parish priests are like, I, whenever people ask me marriage questions, I'm like, it's so dang complicated. You got to ask a parish priest because they yeah, work yeah, on yeah. it every day. You no, know? that's right. That's so, right. So, so no, but, you're right. Okay. So failure to bond as such. So I, listen, I'm very literal minded. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, people. sure. I get it. I so, get it. so taking you too literally is, well, they just failed to bond, but I assume they actually meant right. uh, the right. words of that. I will take you. I will bond with you. Right. But if the failure to bond is exactly what you just said, is just, I just want you for sex. But I'm going to have these prenuptial agreements. That's, yeah, for right. example, a prenuptial agreement is, is, or even forget prenuptial, like I won't share my house with you or the car or food. Yeah. Like this yeah. is my food. You buy your own. Get your yeah. own job. Or yeah. Okay, that is a, <laughs> a failure to bond. And if ahead of time you're thinking of it that way, like right. I'm just doing this for the sex, but she's on her own or he's on right. her own or whatever right. in terms of owning stuff or whatever. Well, then yeah. that's not, a, a, you're not meaning what you're saying the way the, you know, the, yeah, the, yeah, and that uh, when you're saying in the vow uh, yeah. of the sacrament, you don't really mean. T- so that's why I take you is a very broad and encompassing. It's sure, really yeah. A common life. It's there's yeah. really you're giving your whole self to the you're giving your whole person to the other person. Right. Yeah. Not for instance, sex. I I yeah, yeah, made yeah, yeah. my wife promise that we would live in the South, and right now I live in the godforsaken <laughs> sunless Pittsburgh. So. <laughs> So I, you know, I did not use that as, as grounds yeah, yeah. or anything like that. But well, so, I mean, this is okay. I'm, I'm glad we, I'm glad we got into this because, um, it's, 
like just I want to it's important that we start to discuss like that the sacraments are not magic you know right, what I mean right, it's not right. a certificate and I like people I don't know I don't know necessarily that people think about this and particularly it's very clear with regards to marriage and confirmation and baptism but I think the big problem is more confession and holy eucharist because people just expect to get out whatever they think they're going to get out of it without putting something into it right and right. i think it even has to go to so now you're getting me on a, a soapbox where i'm going to start getting angry but so like you know <laughs> like this you know the idea of active participation from vatican right. II. right it I, I mean, oh, I'm going to get so many people are going to be angry at me, but I feel like it almost destroyed the church with for, because of because of that. It wasn't explained well. Well, and right. and what I mean by this is, you know, I, I would f constantly fight with my saintly pastor about first communions at our parish, you know. So what would happen at first communions is the kids would sing a song in front of the church with with like do a little dance, you know, like a little, you know, Christian dance. They'd bring things they would decorate the altar cloth and decorate the stole that they you know brought up for the priests and everything and i would say to him like over and over again like father don't you realize like this is what now this is what they think participating in mass is, is a flurry of external activity is, right yeah. is a flurry of external activity yeah. and the problem is you know and 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 even if that doesn't offend me what offends me is the fact that real participation has nothing to do with this Right, right. And that they're not learning that part. And so I, I think like there's a whole issue here. And, and I know it seems like we're all over the place connecting marriage. We were just talking about marriage no, no, and stuff no. like that. But this, but it's all connected that yeah, it's not one sided here. You know, the church doesn't just it's not just membership that gives us what we need. No, that's right. So so I really think I say this all the time and I, I, I shouldn't because I'm like in your territory now, but I really am just so convicted and have been for so long that it's all about evangelization in the sense that it, it all comes down to this. Um, Jesus is God the Son. He came to become a man, to die on the cross, to establish a church, to teach us the way, to show us the way to heaven, and to die on the cross to give us forgiveness of our sin uh, and to open the way to grace and glory for His right. glory and our salvation. Okay, that's the gospel. You can say it in all sorts of different ways. But, if, but you have to get... And, and listen, we sound like we're going on another tangent here, but it's not. This is the core of it all. It's my uh, entering into a, uh, 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 the, the mystical body of Christ through my conversion and a salvific relationship with Jesus Christ as my Lord and my Savior um, that is the sine qua non context without which sacraments are meaningless or inappropriately right. pursued. Uh, uh, the, the, the act of participation is realizing, in part, at least in part, that um, here is Jesus coming to meet me in a concrete way, to give me things in this unique way. Now, he could, in extraordinary circumstances, give these gifts outside of the sacraments. Absolutely, he can do it. But this is the way he's choosing to do it, and he gives us these visible signs. It's such a mercy and such a powerful grace, right? Not magic, but <clears throat> that's the context. Jesus is meeting me in yeah. and through the brokenness of the ministers. Uh, sometimes the ministers are lay people too, like in marriage, but other times it's priests, but we're all broken. But he's not, and he works through these broken instruments, and Jesus is meeting me in the Eucharist. He's meeting me in confession. I'm confessing to him. I'm encountering him. And I think really, in a sense... 
I teach this actually uh, both undergrads and with grad class didn't get into this as much this last semester, unfortunately, but that a, a proper, I think an absolute precondition for a very fruitful reception of the sacraments is daily contact with Jesus right. in mental prayer, in mental prayer. And you don't have to make it a big ordeal. It to be very simple to t- tell kids to spend five minutes, and as they get older, maybe 15 minutes a day. Right. Talk to Jesus. Tell, he already knows what you, what's going on, but just tell, he wants you to tell him. Uh, cast your yeah. cares on him. And right. then be quiet and listen to him. You're probably not going to hear a voice, but he'll speak to you, and later on you'll realize, oh, you know, you have these great... Then, then you're in a... You're getting disposed really well to receive the power of that supernatural grace and all these sacraments we're talking about. I think that without that context, forget it. Right. So this is interesting that you brought that up because we've become a minimalist church, you know, like what's the minimum we need to do to get to heaven. And unfortunately, when you list rules like that, you miss the greater context. So like St. Alphonsus Liguari, he says like you, there's no such thing as getting to heaven without mental prayer there. You cannot go to heaven without mental prayer. And I think that the reason that doesn't get listed as like, well, what is the minimum things we need to do to go to heaven is because it should be seen in that greater context that, well, of course, if you don't have that daily relationship, why would you ever expect to get what, you know, the gifts from that person, you know, that he can give you. Right. Um, yeah, this the, is the this deeper, is good. This deeper context comes right into catechesis very well. So we did the evangelist, evangelistic roots, but in catechesis, right? As and of course, everybody's mileage varies according to the age and capacities of the of the students, etc. But right. but catechetically, what it is is sacraments are giving us for the first time, or restoring after it's been lost, or intensifying the divine life of the Blessed Trinity in us that life of supernatural knowledge and love of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Right. And that is, under, that is experienced in this life through faith and charity and hope. Okay, So the sacraments give you these gifts of knowing God, knowing God, knowing Him mystically, knowing Him through faith, um, knowing Him through the teaching, p- public revelation of Christ, the public teaching of the church, the, the, the catechisms, okay? But not just externally, but knowing Him internally, um, and loving him. So the sacraments give you that knowledge and love that intensifies the knowledge and love. It intensifies your 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 union with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and therefore intensifies your union with all other people in the mystical body who themselves are also united. So this, this is a catechism. You know, do you want to n- have greater faith? Do you want to love God more? We're, do mental prayer and worthily receive the sacraments. Um, yeah. I think mental prayer has some hang-ups, potential hang-ups attached to the phrase. I love the phrase. Right, so of course I don't think we yeah. shouldn't use it, but it, it uh, uh, people shouldn't feel, uh, uh, what do you call it, intimidated by it. Like, I have to go through no. this whole right. set of rules. Just talk to Jesus and listen to him. Maybe right. just read scripture and listen to his word. Right. Like, like uh, Brother Lawrence's practice of the presence of God couldn't be more... Simple. simple, you know, you're you're sweeping, talking to Jesus. That that yeah. would be considered mental prayer. There's, yeah. Was it Teresa of Avila or Teresa of Lizzo who said? Oh, I think it's Teresa of Avila. Mental prayer is just li- lifting your mind, and heart to Him yep. whom you know loves you. Yeah, right. That's or exactly. In his love, and that's it. That's in the catechism. They they put that in the yeah. catechism. Yeah. The, catechism. Yeah, yeah. the um, you know, I I was, I hope it was clear what I was saying about active participation. I was because I, 
I get angry about that phrase because I love Vatican II, not because I don't like it. Right, right. Because active participation means your whole heart and soul. It doesn't mean That's it. Yeah. being a lector. It doesn't mean being a a uh, an usher. It doesn't mean it means your whole heart and soul. You know, and you can be um, doing a flurry of activities up on the altar. And right. have your mind and heart completely exactly. far away, right? So that's why that you made me actually you made me think of mental prayer because of bringing up active participation. In fact, you're in really good company. I mean, this was a great theme in Ratzinger's um, theology right. of the liturgy, and also as Pope Benedict, he talked a lot about this too. Active participation is not just this flurry of external activity; it's first and foremost an interior recollection, where you're recollected in prayer, you're, you're in the presence of God, etc. You know. So. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, this is yeah, that uh, that that helps a lot. So so let me let me ask you just one more clarifying question. So with the sacraments of character, in order for the character to be implemented, can you go over the necessary things again? The Yeah, well, for any sacrament, you need the proper minister who intends to do what the church does, um, the proper recipient and the proper matter and form. That's the right stuff and the right words. That's minimalist, right? And if you have that, and it's a sacrament that gives a character, like baptism, confirmation, or holy orders, then they get the character. They may not get the grace if they're not properly disposed. Interesting. So, like, let's say, like, we, you know, I'll, let me set up a crazy end-time scenario, okay? <laughs> um, last, you know, Pope, Pope is the last priest left on earth, doesn't know what to do, he's dying. He just sees somebody on the sidewalk and makes him a priest. Is that guy a priest? Ordains him? Uh, if he's not baptized, no. Well, if he's baptized, okay. okay. He's in Rome. He's got a lot of baptized Italians over there. He's got plenty of those people. That, 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 then unless it's against his will, he's a priest. Against the priest's will. Against the one, yeah, the recipient's will. Okay. Like if he's like, no, 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 don't do it. Uh, yeah. I don't know. If, have we talked about this before? If any of the listeners may have seen the Jack Black movie, Nacho Libre? I, I love that movie. That, is a, okay. that yeah. movie is a so, staple in our household. <laughs> I love it, too. I regularly I send... Yes. I regularly send videos to Father Dave Pavanka of me yeah. saying the, the phrases. <laughs> okay, but I, I cannot, unqual- <laughs> you know, if you have kids or teens or even, yeah. Yeah, I can't unqualifiedly recommend it because there's some. Right, of course. Yeah, but you, right. you know, by the way, you can use VidAngel. VidAngel is awesome. Yeah. It screens right. out stuff automatically. Anyway, <laughs> but there's a part where he's he's bat- he's like, are you baptized? To his partner. <laughs> yeah, has, right. And the guy's, he's like, no, I'm an atheist, you know. And he's like, you're going to be baptized. And so he t- takes his head and starts dunking him, baptizing yeah, right. him by force. Right, again, uh, clearly against the will. Right, uh, so you, you, that is not a valid sacrament. <laughs> it's funny, oh, that okay? So that's not that, a valid sacrament. Yeah. So you cannot you cannot give a sacrament to somebody who has the use of reason <laughs> against their will. Okay, that's right. an invalid sacrament. So as long as it's not against his will, the Pope can ordain some baptized dude. Yes, absolutely. In fact, um, there was a question. Um, uh, uh, historically in the theology of the sacraments, um, especially in the Middle Ages, stuff like this came up. Can you baptize, uh, uh, sorry, can you con- can you confer holy orders on uh, an infant who's been baptized, a male infant who's been baptized? And the answer is yes, you can. Whoa, whoa, yeah. that's crazy. I, I, don't, I, don't think, I don't think it's ever been done. I don't know if it's yeah. done, but you, you, can't, you can do it validly. So. Well, you could see like if you were, like say you were the Apostle Thomas in India and you're dying, you, you know, right. You can do it. I mean, I don't know how you do that, it. That thing yeah, is, it, it could it could be irresponsible. It depends. You have to right, yeah, right. circumstances course, yeah. and stuff, you know. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this is interesting. This is all really but, interesting. By by the way, you know, you brought up um a lot of people ask me about Josephite marriages. I I it, it's people a tough, are, I don't really understand everything about it, so it's tough. Yeah. The, it's so my very favorite Catholic author, 
I don't know if what he's in it would be considered Joe, Joe's fight marriage. He, um, he and his wife like raised children, and now he is a Cistercian and she's a Carmelite nun. Like with, obviously with permission from the church. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah they got yeah, permission. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know if that would be considered Joe's Josephite or not. But um, if it's not Josephite, so it could be. But I, I don't. Yeah. I don't. I don't. I. I, I, I think a Josephite marriage might. I'm a little bit shooting from the hip here. Uh, yeah. as usual. <laughs> but I mean, I, I think a Josephite marriage might require that they live together like jo- Joseph and Mary. Just right. There's no intercourse, but they live a common life. Yeah. So the times when married people have permission from the church to separate and live religious life, um, often the way theologically, but this is not a defined dogma, so it, you're open right. to, we're open to discuss this, but uh, debate this or disagree with it, but <clears throat> the kind of received theological opinion of, of the great scholastics and like Aquinas and those people, is that um, entering religious life is a death, not physically, but it's a yeah. death to the world. Okay. So that death can can count as I'm I'm vowed to you until death do us part. Huh. You know that so, is interesting. So that can count as dissolving the bond, so that yeah. the person's free to enter religious life. Huh. That's really. But interesting. the church doesn't allow that just easily. You know, it's right. It's I'd never heard it's of it rare. before. When yeah. Yeah, I'd never heard of it. I mean, when I was like, you know, he, he published a book under a new name and it was Brother Simeon or something like that. And wow. I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, th- well, this is good. Uh, I, You know, I think that there, you know, this is part of like where people don't realize. I guess what I'm trying to say is I grew up in the age of apologetics, you know, where right, right. Scott Hahn, Patrick Madrid, they were the guys, you know, and if you wanted to like propagate the faith, then what you did is you learned every argument against evangelical, you know, attacks on Romanism or something like that. And it's not that time anymore. It's not, I mean, I'm not saying that's bad. What I'm saying is it's not that time anymore. Apologetics is now whether God exists or not. But but evangelization, right. Evangelization is the, is the fundamental key issue. And, and we're not, we really aren't fighting against the the our Protestant brothers and sisters right, right now. That's right. We're fighting against just um, the post Christian anti Christian yeah. culture right. that's arisen. Right. So it's it's not it's not Protestant Christian. It's Christian versus pagan or non Christian or atheist. Right. And, you know. Yeah, and and I think like at this time, at, when I was growing up, like this, what our discussion that we just had would not have been a part of apologetics. But right, now, right. this is what we need now. Now we need it is people right. to that's understand. Right. Yeah, we have to understand that. So that's right. Apologetics has you can talk classically. We'll talk about apologetics with with three components. Uh, the first and most fundamental is where we're at now. I agree with you, by the way, in assessing where we're at now. And this is the most fundamental one. It's called natural apologetics. Like, is there even a God? Is right. there a human soul? Do you do humans have an immortal soul and a spiritual right. soul that's not material? Um, there's, that's natural apologetics. Then there's Christian apologetics. Um, it, uh, is the Bible reliable historically, let alone inspired by God? Is it just reliable? It, 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 is is Jesus a real historical figure? Did he claim to be the Messiah? Um, you know, what does that entail? Is you know, did he rise from the dead? Right. Then there's Catholic apologetics, the third level, which is uh, what is the kind of church that Jesus established? What are its essential characteristics? And do you find that church anywhere around these days anymore? And you <laughs> do in the Catholic church, despite right. the failings of all of us. Uh, 
So, yeah, yeah. no, I think you're right, David. And, well, we have to preserve all three because people are at different levels, but I think you're right. The big ground, there's a big movement, not movement, what's happening is an emerging post and anti-Christian context. It's sad. Right, and what's I think what's super unique about it is these people can remain Catholic. Like, yeah. they... They have a, a, in some cases, vibrant cultural Catholic life, you know, where the, their parish is their, their whole life, but they have very little faith. So the structure's there. It can just needs to be animated, right? Um, so actually, it's really interesting. In Pittsburgh, what is it like right now on the ground when uh, just, just, what, the last couple of years, didn't they close or can or merge almost oh, yeah. half of the two? Yeah, we went from two hundred and four. Yeah, yeah. yeah, oh, way more than half. Okay. We went from two hundred and four parishes down to fifty-eight. Holy moly! <laughs> which is seventy-five percent more than the next largest consolidation oh. in America. What's the what's yeah. the what's the next largest one? I don't LA know. It, it was either Chicago or Boston. Oh, okay, okay. I think so. Yeah. So now people might think that means that what. 170 parishes were closed, but but in a sense they were, but the churches are still right. there, right? Yeah. So does that mean like you in, have in, a In a lot of cases. Cluster? Now, buildings are getting closed. Oh. Right. Right. Now, buildings are getting closed, yeah. I don't know. I don't know exactly what's... Uh, thankfully, I'm out of okay, it, okay. Uh, like right now, you know, and not involved in it. And and for the most part, my bosses could see like that I would die if I had to spend four years in meetings. So oh. I, I kind of stayed out of it. But... But basically, there are there will be buildings that close, but in a lot of places, like you said, they clustered, and so one priest is serving three campuses, campuses basically. Okay. Yeah, and, and, um, right, and that's what so. Is it. is this a, a, a fall off of priestly vocations and or a fall off of people leaving the church because of what the, is it the abuse crisis, or or, or the you know uh, all sorts of other scandals from the clergy or what what. Or what is yeah. it? They say all of they say all of the yeah. above. I think that, in particular, the um, just the numbers, statistics as far as priestly vocations in Pittsburgh is a pretty stark reality. Like I, I've, I've talked a lot of times in this podcast about my best friend, Father John. I, I'm pretty sure he is the largest in the largest priest class, and he's 71. So like, wow. so the largest group of priests are about to retire wow. now. We've got the same situation in the Diocese of Steubenville. About half or more of our active priests are going to retire within the next five years or so. Um, yeah. So it's a... Yeah, it's a problem. It's a problem. There's no question. But I'll tell you what. Uh, uh, I think about this a whole lot, Dave, and I pray about this a whole lot. God seems to have this this p- pattern of, of, uh, of bringing us to the point where there is no... Yeah natural, feasible <laughs> yeah, solution. Right. Like a Red yeah, Sea moment. Right. I like to say a Red Sea moment. I think the right. church right now, we are in a Red Sea moment. We've got enemies from too. without, enemies from within. It seems like there is no hope. How are we going to get over not just the abuse crisis, but the crisis of not just catechesis, but the crisis of so many faithful, and sometimes even clergy, not believing the basic yeah. gospel, or at least not acting as if they believe the basic gospel, maybe a practical atheism or whatever. Um, uh, and, 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 and God always makes a way where there was no way, in such a way, right. that you know it's He who's doing it, not us. So Paul, I love this passage from 2 Corinthians, right in the beginning, Paul says, brethren, I I'd like it, you not to be ignorant of the sufferings we went through in Asia. And he talks about being shipwrecked and beaten until they're near death and all sorts yeah. of things. And he said, we were made to feel like men condemned to death. 
so that we would depend not on ourselves, but upon God who raises the dead. So, so this is yeah. fantastic, but that doesn't mean it's time to just kick back and, well, he'll fix the problem. We need evangelists, and we need, Frank, it's not just ladies. Some people say, well, the la- it's the time for the lady. Yeah, yeah, we have to sh- share in it. But we also could use some priests and bishops to help out. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and they have to be bold, and they have to risk being pariahs, looking at not being invited right. to the fancy parties, and just really coming right. down like a John the Baptist, some of them, or others maybe more gentle, whatever, but just say, look, we've got to repent and believe the gospel because your soul's on the line, the glory of God is on the line, society's on the line. Yeah, I, I think a, a big issue, a big major issue in the church today is a complete and utter misunderstanding of the priesthood and particularly the sacrificial nature of the priesthood. And I think that that is a big problem because you're right, like we're, we're pointing fingers at like, well, who who is it? Who's going to renew the church? Who's gonna, And it's all of us. But it's going to be very difficult to renew the church if we don't have the the proper understanding of the priesthood. And you know, I I was um, in a diocese that shall remain unnamed, and this priest was speaking. It was a vocation Sunday, you know, and he said, you know, people ask me all the time, "What is a priest?" And he said, "I always say to them this simple answer: A priest is someone who helps you interpret what God wants from your life." And I almost threw right, up right, when I heard right, that right. because because I, I get what he's saying and it, it's it's well meaning but no a priest you know stands in the gap you know in the holy sacrifice the of the right, mass right. that 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 you know and it's this idea that we think that a a, a mediator is like a hurdle to get over right, right. and not a providing a way instead you know and. Absolutely. A means by which Christ comes to meet us and uh, by which Christ offers himself uh, to the Father in an act of sacrifice. In fact, what is a priest? It's given by Scripture in Paul's letter to the Hebrews. A priest is appointed, called by God from among men to offer sacrifice. And this is not just, he's not just talking about the old priesthood. He's talking about the new priesthood in Christ. Right. You offer sacrifice for himself and for the people. Now, of course, Christ doesn't offer it for himself. He doesn't need to, but uh, he offers it for the people. No, that's right. We need to to renew that, um, that understanding. So, so there's a lot of reason to have confidence, but I think that, um, again, the way it works is there are these scourges, these, these difficulties, these crises, both in our micro level individual lives and in society that the Lord lets us go through to bring us to him so that we will depend on, on made to feel like men and women condemned to death. So we depend on not ourselves, but on he, on him who raises the dead. He, it's, he's just, that's his MO, I think. That's God's way of, of, of bring, drawing us close to himself when we have strayed. Um, and it's painful. Um, but one, one thing I'd like to talk about in the future with you, uh, God willing, yeah. is um, because what I've noticed in my life and other people's lives, I have friends who are professional Catholics in, in Catholic media, you know, and, and, yeah. and the, 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 de- the degree of toxicity sometimes that, that they have to confront when looking at some of these ca- very painful cases in the church, okay, can, te- can tend to become obsessive. We're, we're doing theology and insanity, right? We got to be careful, and I love what we're doing. I th- I'm just so grateful to you that we, we have this friendship, we can do this podcast. But we have to be careful because the in- we, we, we have to look at the problems, but not in a sense that we get so obsessed by it. I think one thing the enemy really wants to do is get our focus 
on these problems and off of what? Oh, yeah. Off of myself and my relationship exactly. with Jesus and what Jesus is calling me to do next. What is my next primary fault that he wants to overcome by his power in my life? Or what is the next uh, degree of intimacy he's calling me to in, in prayer, you know, et cetera. So I think there's a great danger here. Uh, uh, but we don't not look at the insanity, but we do it in faith. And it's difficult. In fact, it's impossible without grace, all of this, you know. Yeah, it's it's similar to, like, you know, people who despair in God's mercy. It's like we have to remember God is, as big as these problems are, God is infinitely bigger, you know, and, like, you know, it's just... Especially when it seems like he's not listening, he's not present, he's not active. Right. Where, where is he? He's there. Sometimes it takes decades for something to resolve, you know, um, uh, 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 in his providence, you know, and, and he has good reason for it, and we just don't always know, you know, and we have to believe and trust, so. Amen. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, this has been another episode of uh, Theology and Insanity. We jumped all over the place today, but I think it was a good, fruitful discussion, and at least it was for me, so I, I hope it was for you as well. Uh, please feel free to email us with any questions you might have uh, about theology. We are planning on doing a live episode coming up soon, so get ready for that. We'll, we'll, we'll put out some advertisements on Facebook and, and wherever else you know people put advertisements too. Um, you can reach us at questions at theologyandinsanity.com. Questions at theologyandinsanity.com. Join us next week uh, for another uh, rousing episode, and we'll have another topic for you. God bless you all. Please pray for us. We'll be praying for you. Amen.